Welcome back to Paradigm Run. I'm your host, Mark Barrios. You're going to hear some heavy topics today in Vern's journey. And that is a battle he has to undergo. A beast, a complex that's hiding within him. Did you know the phrases we still use today, such as fighting your inner demon, or fighting the devils within, monsters under the bed, and even skeletons in the closet? All of these statements allude to psychological complexes. And so we've talked about complexes throughout the course of this podcast, such as narcissism, perfectionism, the power complex, mother complex, father complex. There's so many of them out there. But here's the thing, is when a complex has become constellated, or that is activated within our lives, and also without our awareness, that is when the unconscious will display the images of beasts, of demons, of dragons, and large aggressive snakes or anything similar to these, it'll display them through dreams and visions as visual manifestations of the complex itself. It's wild to think about our psyche operating like that. But the images within Greek mythology, they've been attempting to communicate this to the world since their inception. Every Greek myth out there has a symbolic meaning relevant to our intra-psychic life that is of our inner world. <laughs> But once again, as I've said before, the wildest thing about a complex is that we can have an active complex within our lives and be totally unaware of it. We can be under that spell of perfectionism or narcissism or power tripping, as people say, and not even have the slightest idea it's going on. So we can have a mother complex or a father complex as well and never know. I will say though, is what the complex is that one person is undergoing, it can only be identified by examination of one's own life as it correlates to the images that one sees within dreams or visions. So I'm not going to keep it a mystery or try to hide it, but what Vern will have to battle today is his negative mother complex. Let's talk about the mother complex for a quick moment. There's a falsity that we all somewhat live by, and that's that only men can have a mother complex and only women can have a father complex. And people call these other forms and names such as mother issues or daddy issues, things of that sort. But here's the thing about the mother complex and the father complex is that every single one of us has a mother complex and a father complex. It's not isolated to sexes. And here's the next part about the complex, is the complex is not always bad itself. Is that the mother complex, for example, it can be positive at times, it can be neutral, but it can also be negative, and likewise with the father complex. But the negative mother complex, it's pure poison. And this is in Robert Johnson's words, the old psychoanalyst. And he says, the mother complex 
resides entirely inside man himself. This is his regressive capacity, which would like to return to a dependency on his mother and be a child again. This is a man's wish to fail, his defeatist capacity, his subterranean fascination with death or accident. It can also be his demand to be taken care of. So you can see there, the mother complex is not always about one's personal mother. But for example, if somebody has that feeling in their life, that demand to be taken care of, they can project that mother complex onto people around them. And this is common for a husband to do for a wife or things of that sort as well. But the mother complex, it's not returning to that personal mother, like I said, it's the intra-psychic happening of what's going on within us. So usually the negative mother complex will come about when someone has a big task or a huge duty to perform that's in front of them and they get fear or they become hesitant to taking it on. Or maybe they just need to speak their truth and they're not honoring that. Or it could be that somebody's holding a job that is significantly lower or below what they are truly capable of, but they never want to take that next step or that next chance because they want to stay low and out of sight. They don't want to take the chance or the fear of rejection or the fear that they won't succeed. These are all little glimpses of a negative mother complex, but in order to see them, to see these activities that are going on unconsciously, we have to have that reflective time in our life. We have to have those moments of that solitary nature of self-reflection and self-inquiry. And this is extremely invaluable to who we are. But then sometimes it's like Vern's case, where he encountered a lot of hardship, his battles with war, the loss of his mother, the battle with Mia, not to mention his psychological path itself had put so much weight on him that it all started to build up and it causes a disturbance within him, but this can happen to anybody. But it's not the end. Just because somebody's battling a negative mother complex or a negative father complex, there are ways through it. There's ways to heal, to move past it, to move forward. When somebody finds himself in this position to not want to take on life, not to endure life with all the, the beauty and the hardship in which it entails. So to piggyback on that Greek mythology comment I made earlier, here's the unique part is that Theseus and the Minotaur, for example, you're going to see a similar beast in one of Vern's visions today. So the beast that is the Minotaur. So let's talk about that story just for a quick second. So Theseus and the Minotaur. So Theseus, he's that classical hero archetype. It's showing already what the story is trying to say is that every one of us also has that archetypal heroic energy within us but in the story Theseus has to go into the labyrinth <laughs> the labyrinth is one of the oldest symbols of the unconscious so what the story is showing too is that Theseus has to go inside of himself through introspection through reflection and self-inquiry to navigate his inner world and when Theseus does this when he goes into the labyrinth there he meets the minotaur it's that beast he must fight and slay and overcome. Just like those statements that still exist today, fighting your inner demons or fighting the devil within. 
It all came from Greek mythology and these ancient stories, and it still lives on today. And this is why people can dream of Minotaurs or dream of Theseus or insert any other archetype or Greek mythology figure you can imagine. It's that these archetypal motifs live on today and they live on within our dreams. It's wild stuff. <laughs> So there's another mythology that's similar to Theseus and the Minotaur, and that's Mithras and the Bull. And Mithras, he's still that classical hero archetype very similar to Theseus. But Mithras has this bull. And what's unique is, remember, we have to look at these stories with symbolic eyes to see what the hidden meaning, the underlying message is to them. And so this bull that Mithras has, he loves it. But what the story conveys is that Mithras has to kill it. He has to slay it. He has to destroy it, although he doesn't want to. So in there, he has to make a sacrifice. What the bull can be looked at, it's about that energy that wants to return to the mother during these moments in our lives that we want to retract from life, whether due to too much hardship or too much pain or too big a task to perform. But what the story conveys is that we're able to psychologically kill or destroy that energy that wants to turn within to retract from life. And when we do so, that's kind of when we can turn that energy back around and move forward with life to take on what we were always meant to take on to become who we are supposed to become. And it's beautiful. These Greek mythologies, they display so much more than the average eye sees. So whatever task you may be faced with, whether it's saying the eulogy at your mother or your father or your brother or your sister's funeral, but you have fear or reservation. When we know what is going on within the backdrop, when we see that regressive energy that wants to turn within and retract, when we're aware of this, it makes it so much easier to say no. And we can turn that energy back around and drive it out to perform that task that seems too difficult or once again to become who we are or what we want to pursue in life. And so if you want to be a fucking skydiving instructor, see that energy that holds you back from doing it, that makes you want to turn away from it because maybe you think it's not a reality or something, whatever it is. Or maybe you want to be a 747 pilot, but something in you keeps saying, oh, that's not a reality. I can't truly do that with my life. I don't have the skills. Fuck that. <laughs> Go do it. Turn that energy around. <laughs> Make it happen. Go do it. Chase it. Take the fucking leaps into the unknown. And that's the beautiful part of living. And that's freedom. So with that said, here's episode 13, Ever Bleeding, Never Healing. I hope you enjoy. Vern was two weeks into his deep personal work. And one day while writing, Vern saw a message from his friend James on a social media platform. The two conversed for a while in a lighthearted manner. But before leaving the site, 
Vern saw Mia's profile light up with a new post. Vern said to himself, Eh, we'll take a look and see what she is up to. I can't believe it's already been five months. Vern opened the post, and there Mia was, as beautiful as ever, in a single picture, just like the one she once sent to him. Vern instantly felt a pain so deep, the tears erupted forth. His back fell against the wall of his hallway, precisely where he had opened the picture. Vern slid down the wall until he was seated, with tears rushing forth. In that moment, Vern felt nothing but an immense level of betrayal he had never felt before. Two hours later, Vern lay in bed, feeling as if not a single ounce of the pain had ever subsided. Vern being Vern knew he had to take this head on. Emotions, whether positive or negative of this intensity, are projections of something deeper, which psychologically require our attention. They can arise from a song, the touch of someone we have not felt in some time, the taste of a long-forgotten flavor, the smell of something terrible, or of something wonderful, or even a glimpse of a picture. As one can see, these come about through our sense perceptions. Sense perceptions operate as a mirror to our inner world in moments just as these. Coffee in hand, Vern turned inward the next morning and examined this for the next day and a half. Certainly Vern saw he was still wounded over the situation with Mia. After sitting and meditating with the conscious acknowledgement he was still hurt over what transpired between them, he began to see it all. He saw how he had lost his best friend. The situation required Vern to acknowledge and grieve it. The little grieving he did in the first couple of months was not enough. Vern needed to grieve, and not only the loss of his former love which he felt he already had, but also of his friend. He had conveyed everything to Mia about where his life had taken him. He had opened himself to her and her to him, and he missed his friend dearly. In another eye-opening moment, Vern felt how he no longer trusted women following their relationship with Mia. Vern saw the unconscious walls he put up around his heart and his then unconscious refusal to allow another woman in. He realized his recent dating of new women was only for physical reasons, without any intention to truly know or relate to them. Vern had a need for depth within him. He longed to know a woman's depth. Knowing this allows sex to become more radiant for him and for her. This is not to say everyone is or even should be like this, but this was Vern's natural flow. It is his authentic way of approaching relationships. And this wound, well, it had thrown him further out of balance than he realized. But Vern's consciousness was the first step in rectifying this situation. His own psyche would now begin the next phase of self-regulation. Old loose screws get replaced and tightened, and old rusty gears turning within are cleaned and lubricated. But consciousness is the beginning of realignment. As Vern continued to write, he began to see through his life and dreams. He was living the last chapters. However, another deeper wound, large, dark, and lurking in his depths, 
desired to be known. The unconscious knew it was time for Vern to fight this demon, and so it sent forth several dreams. Vern dreamt and recorded. I saw a door begin to open to a room in the interior of my house. It appeared to be a child's room. As the door continued to open, I caught a glimpse of what appeared to be a huge brown beast. The second. I walked into my mother's bedroom while she was in it. It was as if I had just come home on leave from overseas. I set my gray hard case in a black storage box in her room, and I began to tell her hello. She looked at me and sternly told me to get my stuff out of her room. The next. I saw a dark and negative woman yelling at everyone in a store. The last one. I saw a slightly older dark woman. A voice within the dream said, She's the mother of the dead. Though shocked, Vern didn't consciously grasp the depth of this dream material right away. While the deeper meaning of this series of dreams felt somewhat obscured, the dream of his own mother telling him to remove his belongings from her room contained much value for Vern. This was a big dream for him. He wanted to externalize it and thought of grabbing these two cases, which in reality contained his camping essentials, and leave again. But Vern gained his wits and sat with it inwardly. He knew his cases were symbolic of housing, his very own essential psychic energy. And for whatever reason, they were drawn into his mother's room. As Vern reflected on the huge beast within a childhood room of his, the negative woman yelling in the store, and the dream of the mother of the dead, while these proved to be enough to lead Vern into researching and analyzing the mother archetype in some of her various forms, such as the great mother, the terrible mother, and the devouring mother. All of these forms have been told time and again through Greek mythology and other mythologies and spiritualities from around the world. As Vern was researching, he then discovered the myth of Isis, and another four hours elapsed of intense reading. Finally, Vern began to feel something inside. He sat still and allowed the previous dreams to come flooding into his consciousness. A dark energy, which needed release, began to boil. But Vern didn't know what it was or how to release it. Aware of daily tasks requiring his attention, Vern stepped outside, took a deep breath, and prepped his mower for much-needed yard work. He put his headphones in, sat on his mower, and began to cut his grass. He rode in silence for a moment before pausing. He pulled up a quite lengthy music playlist on his phone and hit shuffle. Vern resumed his mowing duties, but within seconds, a song came forth which made this energy within begin to boil. It was as if the lyrics were sent by a spirit itself to convey the much-needed message. Vern, feeling the energy, then felt the first tear run down his face as he mowed from fence to fence. In a split second, the pain Vern's mother Marie caused him came boiling to the surface. <laughs>
Vern, in tears as he mowed his yard, began to talk within. Are you serious? Almost three years later in this, it's still here? Vern shook his head in denial, but knew he needed to take this on. He breathed in deep, felt the tears continue, and said to himself, Fuck, I guess we're doing this. Mom, do you see you left? You always said you loved me. You said you would always be there. But do you know you did the single thing that would hurt me the most? You fucking left. And you left without saying goodbye, even when you could have. Why would you do that to me? I was your only child. Why in the fuck would you leave me like this? Vern could no longer keep his composure while mowing. He turned off the blades and rode to his side porch, resisting the desire to let the full emotional intensity pour forth. But then Vern walked in, locked the door, and in his room for inner work, he fell to his knees on the floor. The pain was indescribably deep, unrivaled by any physical pain he had ever encountered. His head fell low, and he allowed the tears, the sobs, and the wails to rush forth. The energy began to grow stronger within him. He could feel the presence of something so large in the center of his body. How could this have eluded him for so long? Vern had questioned himself since Marie took her life, asking periodically if he was okay. Vern had even researched mother complexes in the first years, knowing he was susceptible but he never saw any evidence until now. Vern engaged in a session of active imagination on the spot to consciously work with the presence of the emotion. He softly spoke within. I was so naive to think something this large was not still present in me. We all possess a mother and father complex to varying degrees. And if a man or a woman in a rather normal environment can develop an intense mother complex, then of course I could too. I mean, fuck. I was an only child raised by a single mother and she committed suicide when I was 31. No fucking shit you have a harsh mother complex, Vern. As soon as Vern said this to himself, he felt the dark energy so deep within make its way from the center of his being upwards into his conscious mind. Vern still on his knees from the pain, closed his eyes and began to drift. He felt the unconscious energy arising, and he felt his conscious mind participating. Vern allowed what was to simply take its course. The unconscious now started to show itself during this raw release of energy, and it thrusted forth a vision to Vern. Oh, there you are. You're a big fucker. What are you? A mix between the devil and a minotaur? Oh, I can feel you now. I see you now. You're the fucking beast of my dreams. It's been nearly three years. Why are you still here? You're not fucking welcome anymore. Vern's mind shifted from the beast he had seen in numerous dreams and visions. Now back to Marie. You fucking left. You couldn't even leave a note? Not even one sentence? You know what? Fuck you. I didn't deserve this. You should have never left me like this. But you did. You could have left a note. 
Vern, with angered, sobbing eyes, drifted back to the image of the beast, that demon within. You with your black fur and spiraling horns standing on two legs. Fuck you. You're not welcome here. Three years of hiding within my being. Well, I'm fucking done with you. The beast stared Vern in the eyes and began to walk towards him in this vision. Vern, participating with the unconscious drama, saw himself move into a defensive posture as the beast now ran towards him. The two clashed in the imagery of the unconscious, and a battle between Vern and the beast within erupted today. After a grueling 30 minutes or so, Vern opened his eyes, looked around his surroundings, and began to regain his composure. He inhaled deep and let his mind become still, his swollen, bloodshot eyes no longer crying, his breaths lighter and smoother. Vern mumbled to himself after five minutes of this coming back to life. Fuck me, but that's psychoanalysis for you. I certainly didn't see that coming, and that wasn't very pretty, but I suppose it needed to happen. After all, I see now I never let myself feel any anger for you, Mom. I only thought of the pain you must have been in to finally take your own life. I only wanted to give you a good funeral. I didn't want any negative thoughts towards you. But I suppose here they were, buried deep within me until the energy I repressed finally constellated into that inner beast that is the mother complex. I know this wasn't very graceful, but I see now this anger needed expression. I was nearly three years late releasing it, but it's out now, and that's what matters. I suppose even anger, directed appropriately, has its rightful place. Nearing his normal state again, Fern lifted himself to one knee, he breathed in slow and chuckled under his breath and said, Fuck you, beast. Vern walked outside to his side porch and lit a cigarette. Vern took a seat and leaned way back inhaling the smoke within. Vern closed his eyes, slowly exhaled, and sat so very still. In a last farewell-like spontaneous image from the unconscious, Vern saw someone he had seen before in a previous active imagination session. It was John. John was a warrior, resembling a knight. But not one of shining armor. He was one of the peasant class. One who fought for the people. He wore an old helmet covered in dirt and war-torn cracks. He himself was a bit covered in dirt, but was of large, hairy, and muscular stature. John looked Vern in the eyes and took a step towards him. John bowed his head slightly forward, and Vern mirrored the motion. The two stood there, forehead to forehead in a way of two men who had just traveled through the trenches of war, into hell, and back together. They locked fists as they pulled their heads apart, and John nodded to Vern and drifted back into the unconscious. Vern slowly opened his eyes and felt tears of gratitude begin to roll down. He breathed the cigarette smoke in deeply, holding for a moment. Vern exhaled, recognizing John as an archetype of his inner warrior, a dark, shadowy, heroic figure, perhaps even another glimpse of the self, which could endure these battles against the demons within.
This experience would live forever in the personal depths of Vern's being. It was the day Vern became conscious of and battled his negative mother complex. Vern fell asleep this evening and had a single dream. Vern recorded. I saw a woman about my age jump up, and then she kicked a beast that looked like a dinosaur in the face. Vern awoke and laughed quietly to himself. Here was the anima, letting Vern know in a comical manner they had kicked the beast in the face together. The anima guides and aids. Here his soul lightheartedly assisted him in recovering from the intensity of the inner battle he had just endured. Vern knew there would be much more to traverse. With his newfound knowledge of this negative mother complex, he went back to old dreams he did not understand and saw what they meant. A large component of Vern's masculinity, his ability to move through life and endure the hardship it brings, took a devastating blow from his most painful encounters. To heal, Vern knew he had to be very, very honest with himself. Vern journaled. I'm sorry, my friend. I can see it now. My own mother leaving me without saying goodbye when she could have. The frightening descent into the darkness while I was in Afghanistan. The emotional intensity of the intuition situation. And subsequently, being ripped apart by Mia hurt my masculinity terribly. This all sparked a psychological disturbance in my being. I unconsciously sought to run from life after this. I became fearful of life. I sought to escape the reality of the world's hardship. I regressed into that place wherein we never have to meet life's demands, and I unconsciously sought to be in the comforting arms of the mother. I returned home and have been sitting in my cold, dark house for so many months, not doing anything other than sitting with my dreams, images, and my work. I have stopped living. I slowed down on my book I was working on. I have been evading life as an old hermit, or even as a young child seeking protection. I have been evading what life requires of me, but I see my unconscious actions now. Thank you, Psyche, for bringing this inner work to me. It is time to strive forward with life in all it entails. Vern reflected further on his life situation and prepared a departure to go live his own authentic life. After all, Vern's master bedroom was where Marie resided when she lived with Lucia. Jimmy had also died in the living room of his house. Vern saw it was time to go but he had not the slightest idea of where or how, as funds were still trickling down. Vern knew he would leave soon, though. He believed he had to. And Vern packed his truck with only the necessities. Never wanting to place his grandmother in a difficult situation, Vern knew he would go find his own place and get a new job, which could provide for himself and Lucia. But when Vern consolidated this plan, in a synchronistic manner, his truck was stripped from him. For the next 76 days, Vern battled a horrendous warranty issue from the new transmission. Vern was alone in his house, with no means to leave. In time, Vern came to see he was not to leave. This was but another unconscious attempt 
to escape something of which Vern still needed to become conscious. There are certainly times to flee, but more often, there are times to be still. Vern needed to be quiet and present to the fires within. Vern was, yet again, attempting to run around the outside world to alleviate the pain. But the source of his pain assumed a deeper inner nature, more than he was ever aware existed. The situation with the personal mother complex was just the beginning. Vern began to move through more untrodden territories, for him at least. Fortunately, others have gone before us, and their work, as well as myth, was left behind to aid in the journey of coming to consciousness. It was time for Vern to discover another level. Addressing the personal mother complex is often a doorway to the larger mystery surrounding the symbolic mother, the archetypal mother, in all her light and darkness. You've heard the words active imagination several times now throughout this podcast. It was Marie-Louise von Franz, a wonderful psychoanalyst who said, by active imagination is meant a particular kind of meditation on fantasies in which one relates to the unconscious as to a real partner. This form of meditation can in many regards be compared to certain Eastern meditation techniques, such as those of Zen Buddhism or Tantra Yoga. So active imagination is just that. It's a particular kind of meditation, but it's a meditation wherein we look at the images from the unconscious, for what we see in visions and daydreams and even our nightly dreams. Inactive imagination is where we go quiet and still. It's where we allow ourselves to drop the sense perceptions. We allow the mind to be free of thought. And this could take somebody five minutes. It could take somebody two hours to get to that point. But when we do reach that point to which thought has subsided, it is then the unconscious will start to show itself. Or, we can then focus on previous images we have seen, whether in dream or whatever arises in that moment of meditation. It is in active imagination that just as Marie-Louise von Franz says, we act to the unconscious as a real partner. And so we give these images, we give the unconscious the voice that it deserves in our life. And remember, psyche. Psyche is the totality of our psychic operation. That is both the conscious mind and the unconscious. But we all tend to move about the world today with only the conscious mind. But in doing so, we automatically negate that other dimension, that other intra-psychic component of who we truly are. So active imagination, it has beautiful results. It is this wonderful tool to participate with those archetypes, those energies within us, to see what they have to say and to hear them out, 
And it might sound too crazy to many. And it's understandable, I get it. But sometimes if we have a question about life, something that hits us deeply in a sincere matter of the heart, we can ask those questions. It's no different than a very devout form of prayer. We kind of dive inside of ourselves. We meditate, we go still. We can ask those questions. And then here's the thing in active imagination is whatever comes once you make your concern or voice a question or ask a certain appearance within a dream, you know, what are you? Who are you? It's where you give those images life. It's where you give them expression. Think of the phrase itself, active imagination. Think about everything that's been created in this world by imagination. That level of creativity that exists within each one of us. So it's not always about that creativity to bringing something to a physical reality, but the creativity in which we see with our own imagination and working with the unconscious. It's its own intrapsychic reality. And it was Carl Jung who said, active imagination is to be understood as a way or method to heal, raise, and transform the personality. So with that said, and just as a friendly reminder, I run a licensed practice in Central Florida of inner life coaching and depth coaching, and it surrounds this work of this deep psychological nature. So if you ever have questions or concerns about any of these topics, please always feel free to reach out to me. I love talking about this stuff and I'd be happy to do so. My website is theartofhealingandwholeness.com or you can reach out to me at markbarriosauthor at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed. And as always, more to come.